You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Hello everyone, my name's Craig and it's good to join you this morning. Happy Easter everyone. It's great to join you from Cross Culture. Um, I'll be uh, preaching this morning uh, on the resurrection and the sermon's entitled From Doubt to Confident Life. Before I begin, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word about your son, Jesus. Please fill us with your spirit so that we may receive your word and believe in your son. Amen. Well, what do you need to believe that something is true? What do you need to believe something you haven't seen? You see a photo of a model and you ask, is she really that stunningly flawless? Or has she been digitally enhanced to look that way? Or you read the account of someone's life and you wonder, are they embellishing? It sounds all a bit too far-fetched for me. But what about at the personal level? What do you need to have confidence in a relationship with someone? How do you know they are who they say they are? He says he wants to live the rest of his life with me. I'll believe it when he puts a ring on it. In all these cases, we need demonstrable assurance if we're to move beyond doubt and go forward with any confidence in life. And today we'll see how Jesus gives us the greatest assurance of all, of who he is and of what he wants to give us. Namely, the assurance of his resurrection. We'll see how his resurrection brings each of us along this journey from doubt and refusal to confident conviction and new life with Christ. Most of us at some stage, when we've heard the account of Jesus' resurrection, have doubted it and refused to believe. Preceding the account we've read in John's Gospel on the Friday, Jesus had been executed on a Roman cross and laid in a tomb. But the following Sunday, beyond expectation, he appears to Mary Magdalene. And Peter and John found his tomb empty, with the linen burial cloths left behind. Then Jesus appears to his twelve disciples, minus Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, and Thomas, who wasn't there. Jesus finds them locked away in a room, hiding for fear of the Jews. But they become glad when they discover their Lord is alive. He shows them his hands where he'd been wounded by the nails of the cross. He shows them his side where he'd been pierced by the soldier's spear. And he says he's sending them out with the Holy Spirit to continue his work. 
And so coming to our passage today, we aren't told why Thomas, who's also called Didymus, which means the twin in Greek, we aren't told why he wasn't there when Jesus appeared. But when the disciples tell him, we have seen the Lord, he doesn't believe them. He replies, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas refuses to believe the eyewitness testimony of the disciples that Jesus is alive. And he'll keep refusing to believe unless he sees the living proof that the crucified Lord he knew is indeed the resurrected Lord. He wants a personal and intimate sign to touch Jesus' hands where the nails pierced him, to touch his side where the spear tip drew the water and the blood. We may think that Thomas is being very practical in wanting proof. After all, who'd ever heard of someone rising from the dead after being crucified and buried in the tomb for three days? Or we may think that Thomas is wise to guard his heart and hopes until he sees and dares believe that his master, teacher and friend has returned. But he also demonstrates something of the faithless generation, the unbelieving heart Jesus had criticised in the official in Galilee. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Actually, with the slides, could you just flick back a few? So we can keep on track. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. At this stage, Thomas doesn't believe that Jesus has come through death by crucifixion. He doesn't believe that Jesus has broken free from the tomb. He doesn't believe the witness that the one he loved is the risen Lord. It's too unbelievable. It's too good to be true. Imagine the fans of the Melbourne Football Club who drifted away from the footy because their team hadn't won a premiership for 57 years. They'd had enough of losing, of long-suffering. They'd become tired of being disappointed time and time again, and they'd lost hope. And then someone says to them, Hey, did you see Melbourne? They smashed the dogs and won the premiership. No way, they reply. Unless I see Big Maxi gone with the cup in his hands and see the coach by his side holding the cup, I will not believe. Yet despite their disbelief, Melbourne had, in reality, risen to the top of the table and won the premiership. And thousands of people saw it, not to mention the broadcast. And so the doubters go and read the papers and find out that sure enough, Melbourne are the premiership. Melbourne are the premiers. I couldn't believe it either. 
But no matter our subjective response, whether we believe or disbelieve, it doesn't change the objective truth of the event of Jesus' resurrection. For us here today, we weren't there to see Jesus' resurrection or his subsequent appearances. But what we do have and are reading today is what Thomas had at this very point, the eyewitness testimony of the apostles that the Lord lives. So will we believe the word of those who saw Jesus after his death and resurrection? Or do we want more? Let's not be like the unbelieving apostle at this stage, who is like every generation really, and simply refuse to believe that Jesus is risen unless we see a miraculous sign. Whether we doubt or whether we believe, examine the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. I urge you to see how after Jesus' death and burial, the Lord Jesus rose to new life. As we examine the scriptures about Jesus' resurrection appearances, we are brought with Thomas on the journey from doubt and refusal to confident conviction of who Jesus is. Which brings us to our second section, confident conviction. Eight days later, which is an inclusive way of saying the following Sunday, the disciples are back where they were before locked away inside for fear of the Jewish authorities. But this time, Thomas is with them, and this time everything changes for him. We read, Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. The locked doors, they were meant to bar people from entering the room, but Jesus miraculously appears among them. They recognize him as the same man they knew before his crucifixion. Yet his resurrection body belongs to a qualitatively new realm of life. And Jesus comes to meet Thomas in his greatest need. He doesn't come in judgment for the disciples' fearfulness or lack of faith, but he extends his peace to them, the peace that he promised to give them before he died on the cross. The peace, this peace, is the all-embracing shalom, the complete well-being that will characterize Jesus' followers in the kingdom of God. Jesus' peace be with you is the complement of it is finished uttered on the cross. For the peace of reconciliation and life with God is now secured by his resurrection. And now in our narrative, Though Jesus wasn't physically in the room when Thomas made his demands in disbelief, Jesus knows and meets 
his personal need. He invites Thomas to place his hand in his hand to feel the scar of the nails. To place his hand in his side to feel the mark of the spear. Where he could have rebuked Thomas for his unbelief. Jesus is gracious, personal, compassionate. And Thomas is humbled by Jesus' forbearance. And all he can do is simply, with confident conviction, confess Jesus as my Lord and my God. And Jesus accepts his adoration. He does not refuse. It's one of the clearest identifications of Jesus as God in all of Scripture. In the US elections over the last 20 or more years, you may have noticed the trend of refusing to accept the victory of the president-elect. Maybe you remember before 2000, but I remember back to 2000. And Al Gore demanded recount after recount of the votes in the key state of Florida. And after each recount, the legal challenges all the way to the Supreme Court, George W. Bush still received the votes to win the key state and so the election. And fast forward to 2020 and the refusal to accept the result was even worse. Maybe you remember that one. After every recount of the vote in several states, after the multitude of objections and legal challenges, Biden had still, each time, received the electoral votes to become president. Even if you dispute the victory, you could no longer deny the evidence of the ballot, but had to acknowledge the reality that he had been elected president. And so with Thomas, Jesus overcame his objections with physical evidence of his resurrection. So that all Thomas could do was acknowledge the reality that Jesus was indeed the risen Lord. So we may ask, what evidence do you need to believe that Jesus rose from death to new life? For Thomas... It was seeing the risen Lord in the flesh. But that's all very well for him. What about us who didn't get to see him in person? Maybe we want to see that too. And thankfully, believing in the risen Lord doesn't depend on seeing him in person. We see this in Jesus' last recorded exchange with Thomas. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And this word is good news for us. God shows his favour by granting faith to people of every generation who receive the eyewitness testimony of the risen Lord Jesus. And we've been given enough eyewitness evidence that Jesus has in truth risen from the dead. For example, there's the empty tomb. 
all the Jewish and Roman opponents had to do to stop the Christian movement was to produce Jesus' dead body. But they could not. Then there's the disciples' persistence in their testimony. If they'd simply hidden the body, they would have succumbed to the deadly persecution and recanted. Stop, I was making it all up. But they did not. And then there are the resurrection appearances, which we read today. We read this from George Sinclair, who writes about Jesus' appearances. There are, not counting Paul, 11 recorded, 11 recorded times that Jesus appeared to people proving that he was resurrected. These appearances were to men and women, individuals, couples, groups, and at least one crowd. He was physically touched, audibly heard, visibly seen, and he ate food in the presence of witnesses. None of these witnesses believed that Jesus would rise from the dead before he had risen from the dead. All of them knew, all of them knew him before his death. So they knew he was the same Jesus who died on the cross. We've been given eyewitness testimony to the greatest sign of all that Jesus is the living Lord. Jesus rose from the dead and appeared in person to humankind. But maybe we still want Jesus to appear to us before we'll believe. If so, we'd be demanding him to do what he has already done. If so, hear the exhortation from the risen Lord himself. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Take heart in the eyewitness testimony that after his resurrection, Jesus appeared in person and received the grace of not merely seeing him, but believing with the confident conviction that he is your Lord and your God. Now, if we believe with confident conviction that Jesus is our living Lord and God. What difference does that make in our lives? Jesus shows us that his resurrection makes a transformational difference by giving us bold new life in Christ. The Apostle John says that Jesus did many other signs or miraculous works, which the disciples also saw, but which aren't written in the gospel account. But John has chosen to record the signs that he has, culminating in Jesus' resurrection from the dead for a particular purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus did his miraculous works as evidence of his identity to show that he is God's chosen king 
whom God sent to save a people for himself. And as we've seen, the resurrection is the ultimate sign that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And the Apostle Paul confirms this. He writes, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. But the resurrection is not only, not merely the ultimate sign that Jesus is the Son of God. No, his death and resurrection are the means by which Jesus provides forgiveness for our sin and declares us righteous before God. His resurrection ensures the future resurrection of all who believe in him and his life means eternal life for all his people. Returning one more time to our football analogy. The sign that Melbourne Football Club were the worthy premiers, the sign it merited the faith of its supporters, was that it raised the Premiership Cup. But the sign it was the Premier also meant the reality of delivering its followers the victory. And so it is with our Lord. Jesus' death and resurrection are the sign of his lordship, which also deliver victory and eternal life for us. So given that Jesus shows himself to be the risen Lord and God who gives us eternal life, how will you live in response how will you live in response for some of us it will mean for the very first time we believe the testimony of jesus death and resurrection it will mean that for the very first time we trust him as our lord and god but for others it will mean allowing the truth of Jesus' resurrection to penetrate our heart and mind so that it transforms our life into one of confidence in Christ. For Thomas and the disciples, the risen Lord changed everything. They went from hiding away behind locked doors to boldly proclaiming they'd seen Jesus' death and resurrection. Most of them didn't stop proclaiming this truth until they'd sacrificed their lives for it. And John suffered exile on the island of Patmos for the sake of the gospel. So I encourage you, in view of Jesus' resurrection and the eternal life he secures for you, ask God to fill you with his spirit to live the bold new life with Christ. Ask God to fill you with his spirit to live the bold new life with Christ. Jesus has shown us that he is the Christ, the Son of God, by rising from death to new life. So live and speak with confident conviction that he is your Lord and your God. Do not disbelieve, but believe and receive his salvation. He has taken the shame of the cross for you so that you no longer have to bear the shame of your sin. 
He has taken your guilt and mine so that we no longer have to endure the punishment of our wrongdoing. And because of his death and resurrection, Jesus has forgiven you and secured eternal life for you and for me in the all-encompassing peace and flourishing life that only he can give. So walk, walk in the full confidence that Jesus is your risen Lord and God who is always with you and live in the certain view that Jesus has secured eternal life for you. How will you let the reality of Jesus' resurrection transform your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, praise you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin and for raising him again to secure our eternal life. Praise you for revealing Jesus through his resurrection to be our Lord and God. Please, we beg, transform us by your spirit to walk with full confidence in the risen Lord Jesus. Help us to live boldly in the certain view of eternal life. Show us how to serve you in the new ways you desire. And show us how to tell the people we meet about all the wonderful things you've done. Amen.